said, my wife and I, you know, three boy, boys started watching online early last year, and we, became, we began coming to outdoor services while it was warm out. Uh, since the weather turned cold, we've been watching online and worshiping with you online, but I have to say, in such a short time, uh, what a warm and welcoming congregation this is. Uh, I also have to give a big thanks to Pastor Nate. After we first watched online last summer and filled out the register form, he reached out to me personally and to grab lunch and just talk and get to know one another. Uh, that was probably my first outing of the pandemic. Uh, I really respect Pastor Nate and thank him for the opportunity to bring God's word to you today. It's a sacred task and it's one that I don't take lightly. Uh, would you pray with me as we begin? Dear Lord, thank you for who you are and the work you've done in each of our lives. Thank you for your church gathered near and far this morning around the world. I pray that you would use me as an instrument in your hands, that you would speak through me, and that those listening to the sound of my voice, whether it's here in the service or online or even at a later time, that their hearts would be open and receptive to what you would have to say to them this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in a mid-sized Lutheran church not far from here. I had great parents who raised me to know Jesus. They're actually sitting right over there. Um, and when it came time to go to college, I followed some of my good friends to a Bible institute on the West Coast named Biola University. It was there that things finally clicked for me, I'd say. Though I'd grown up in a Christian home and knew much of the Christian faith, it was at Biola that I started intentionally studying God's word on my own. I believe it's there that I really met Jesus or really accepted him as my Lord and Savior. It's where I studied the Bible deeply for the first time. I discovered things about God that I never knew before, and it was really exciting. It was during this time also where Courtney, who's now my wife, and I started dating long distance. I was in Los Angeles at Biola, and she was here at Wheaton College. We would stay up late talking about what we were learning about God. We wrote letters to each other, like actual handwritten letters. Um, it was a tremendous season of spiritual growth for both of us, and it felt good. I remember being excited to open up my Bible because I didn't know what I was going to learn about God that day, but I knew I was going to learn something. Then a lot of life happened. After graduating, Courtney and I got married. Uh, we attended grad school, moved across the country twice. We bought a house. We had three kids, all in about the span of five years. Over time, I didn't feel that same excitement as I approached my Bible. I mean, I'd taken graduate-level classes on it, and as you'll hear more about later, I was working in a church. I knew my Bible pretty well at that point. Was something wrong? Why didn't I feel the same feeling that I felt all those years ago? I was working in the church, spending 45 hours a week or more doing ministry. I loved God still, I was sure of that, and I wanted his will for my life, for my family, for my boys. I just didn't feel the same. As I've reflected, God's hand over my life and the grace that he's shown me, I've come to learn that spiritual feelings are not always a good indicator for spiritual growth. As I'll unpack over the course of the next several minutes, the truth of our sanctification process, our walk with Jesus, is more complex than always being up and to the right. 
It has ups and downs. It has twists and turns. It has seasons as we progress through this life towards heaven. God shows us his grace through these different seasons and continues to grow us through each one. So the first season I want to talk to you about today is what I call the season of orientation. Conversion is exciting. Some of you might remember a specific time in your life that you can point to when you ask Jesus to come into your life. Some people, myself included, grew up in a Christian house and kind of always knew. But even for people like that, there's usually a moment when it clicks for you. When it's not just you repeating back the words your parents are saying, but you actually understand it, and it becomes your own. It's exciting. It should be. Angels rejoice in heaven when a lost soul comes to know Jesus. One more person is counted among the saints. We aren't born following Jesus, though. Because of the fall in Genesis 3, we're all born into sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Sorry, Mom. Uh, no one except Jesus was born perfect. Because of the fall, it's like the world is out of whack. God made humans in his own image. And part of what that means is that he made us to possess some of his characteristics like love, justice, and mercy. Theologians generally agree that even after the fall, we still maintain that image of God. But like I said, things are out of whack. These innate character traits or virtues that God endowed us with can become bent. Our capacity for love can be bent into lust. Our capacity for justice can be bent into unrighteous anger. Our capacity for righteousness can be bent into pride. Our virtues can be bent into vices of varying degree. And the truth is, we're all bent out of shape. God knows this about us. And when we come to know Jesus, he gives us a measure of his felt presence in proportion to our former vices. This is a season of orientation. God is helping us orient our souls towards him. He meets us bent souls where we're at, and we become new creations in Christ, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're filled with a love for God like never before. And that feeling of God's closeness is a grace from God. It helps take us off the path of those vices and selfishness and helps put us on the path towards God. It's at this point in our spiritual journey, as we're spiritual infants, that we can easily say these words from today's psalm. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. This is the season of orientation. It's a mountaintop experience. The beginning is so exciting. It's like the honeymoon phase of a relationship. 
or the first day on a job, or the first day of classes in school. In the beginning of our walk with Jesus, we're filled with great feelings of God's close presence, love, and grace. As spiritual infants, God feeds us that spiritual milk to help us grow rapidly. But like the author of Hebrews says, at some point, we need to move from milk to solid food. Just like the disciples who climbed the mountain with Jesus and experienced his transfiguration, as we heard about last weekend, they had to come down. There comes a time when you come home from the honeymoon, when the first season in that new job is over, when orientation is over, and before you know it, midterms hit. Those exciting feelings of something new fade over time, and that's natural. But when it comes to our spiritual life and those initial feelings of God's closeness fade, it feels weird. We may be tempted to think that something is wrong. Maybe we did something wrong, or maybe we aren't trying hard enough. Or maybe life's circumstances have changed. Whatever it is, after our initial orientation towards God and that initial upward climb, we inevitably have a season of disorientation. And this is the second season I want to talk about this morning. We come down from the mountaintop experience remembering what that initial feeling of God's closeness was like, and we want it back. The natural thing to do is to try and get it back. And what's the best way to do that? I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. And don't get me wrong, all those are good things. The temptation during this time of disorientation isn't towards sin, though that's an ever-present temptation. Rather, we are tempted towards moralism. Let me say that again. When that initial feeling of God's presence fades away, we can easily be tempted towards moralism in an effort to get that feeling back. But that's not quite how it works. Our spiritual growth is a balance between our efforts and God's. There's no doubt that we have a responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, like it says in Philippians 2.12. But God is the one who actually causes the growth. Similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.6, you can plant the seed, you can water the seed, but at the end of the day, it's God who makes it grow. Or similar to a sailboat, you have to put up the sail, but God's going to be the one to send the wind to take you forward. I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with the Lord, but if you've been a believer for a little while, odds are you've experienced this. For you, maybe it was the loss of a loved one that disoriented your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it was the loss of a job or the breakdown of a relationship or the reemergence of sinful habits or unhealed childhood trauma. It could be any number of things. We live in a broken world and that brokenness can disorient. Let me tell you what it was like for me. My mountaintop experience was in college. As I mentioned earlier, I remember loving God's word so much. Um, I loved talking about it, reading it, meditating on it, studying it. I couldn't get enough of it. I was young and in my early 20s, just like anyone in their early 20s, I had such big ideas. My wife, Courtney, and I would talk about how we would do church if we built one from the ground up, following scripture and relying only on Jesus. It was so idyllic. After college, we got married and wanted to prepare for a life of ministry, so we went to seminary together. We enrolled in master divinity programs together and kept learning. 
We learned Greek, historical theology, systematic theology, all the good things that come with a robust seminary education. We wanted to be ready for our dreamed up life of ministry. But as the psalmist says, man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's a really nice way and a better way of saying life happens. Before our first year of seminary was over, we had our first son, Judah. Well, Courtney had Judah, and she did it during midterms week and took a full load of classes and still aced them all. Uh, We kept it up for a second year of full-time seminary while I worked part-time to help pay some bills. But before our second year of seminary was over, our second son, Levi, was on the way. And at this point, while school was expensive and bills were mounting, we decided it would be the best move for our family to put seminary on hold so I could start working full-time. I ended up getting a job at a local church. I still had that strong desire to serve God, maybe even be a pastor someday. So why not spend 45 hours a week in a church doing ministry? It wasn't long before I discovered that there was a disparity between my idealized version of what the big C church should be and what I experienced. The church I was in was a flawed human organization. Well, no church is perfect, I would tell myself. And that's true, no church is perfect. But this was my season of disorientation. For many reasons I won't go into, my idyllic version of the church gradually wore down. And it was during this time that approaching God's word took effort. I didn't get that exciting feeling that I used to. Prayer became difficult as my mind easily wandered without that feeling of God's close presence. What was going on? Did I do something wrong? Was I not trying hard enough? These are the questions of one in a disorienting season of life. And it's in these seasons of disorientation that our psalm today takes on a whole different layer of significance, and I'll read just a part of it here. In you, Lord, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. So what's really going on in these seasons of disorientation? As I mentioned before, I have three young boys, a couple of birthdays coming up, um, but they're pretty much six, four, and two. All of them learned to walk between nine and ten months old, and let me tell you, some started by running and haven't stopped since. <laughs> Speaking of babies, did you see those pictures of little Levi Hickox and his happy parents in the newsletter a couple weeks back? Those pictures are precious. It's amazing to hold a baby who's entirely dependent on you. As ours grow up, we're already starting to miss that phase. One of my two-year-old's favorite phrases right now is, I do it, and that's inevitable. You start by doing everything for your kids, and eventually they start to do more and more on their own. You start by changing their diapers, by spoon-feeding them, putting clothes on for them, holding their hands so that they learn to walk. You're physically close, and they feel your close presence. But at some point, a child needs to learn to walk, to dress themselves, to feed themselves. At some point, you need to take away your hand 
so that the child can learn to walk on its own. You need to physically distance yourself for their own good so that they can mature. So back to the question, what's really going on in these seasons of disorientation when it feels like God's presence isn't as close to us as it once was? As it turns out, God does the same thing with us as our spiritual father in our spiritual lives. Sometimes God takes away his hand so that we can learn to walk on our own. As we're spiritual babies, we need spiritual milk, and he gives us a good measure of his felt presence as a gracious gift. As we grow up and mature, I would argue that it is an even more gracious gift to us that he removes his felt presence at strategic times in our lives so that he can continue to grow us. Don't miss that. God continues to grow us by graciously removing his felt presence at strategic times in our lives. This may seem backwards, but it's well attested throughout church history and is known as the dark night of the soul. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters that captures this phenomenon so well. If you're not familiar with Screwtape Letters, let me give you a brief background. Lewis wrote the Screwtape Letters as a fictional collection of letters written from a demon named Screwtape to his younger nephew and mentee, Wormwood. In it, Screwtape continually encourages Wormwood in ways to trip up his human subject and warns about the enemy who, from this perspective, is God. uh, Listen to this quote from Screwtape Letter number 8. Sooner or later, he withdraws. He's talking about God there. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives, he leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, that's God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. There's a lot going on in that quote, so let me point out a couple aspects. In the beginning of it, he says, God withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience. Let's not forget that Jesus promised he would always be with us. In Matthew 28, 20, the gospel concludes with Jesus saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He also gives us his Holy Spirit, and nowhere in the New Testament does it say that the Holy Spirit comes and goes from us. In fact, Scripture says the opposite, saying that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, marking us for Jesus Christ when we come to believe, in Ephesians 1.13. Another part of the quote that I want to highlight is, it is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. As precious as they are, babies aren't meant to stay babies. They're designed to grow. They're designed to mature. Often this happens through growing pains. 
and it can be uncomfortable. This quote from Screwtape reveals in such a succinct way what is actually going on in these seasons of disorientation. As God takes away his hand so that we can learn to walk on our own, we're actually growing tremendously, even if we might not feel like it. The fundamental shift that God is trying to affect in us is this. He wants to take us from a place of loving him for the sake of that feeling we got when he was close to loving him for his own sake. God uses those seasons of disorientation to lead us into a season of reorientation. And this is the third kind of season I want to talk about this morning. It's in this season of reorientation that God is trying to reorient us from relying on spiritual milk to relying on spiritual food. He's trying to reorient us from going to God's word because we feel his close presence to going to God's word because we know it's how we spend time with him and that it feeds us spiritually. He's trying to reorient us from jumping into worship because a great experience was created with loudspeakers, a dark room, and high-tech lighting to worshiping him because he is your Lord and King. Don't get me wrong. Those feelings are not bad, and they don't only happen at the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. This was part of my reorienting. Working at a large church, I became cynical about many of the aspects of what they did. The worship set seemed more like a concert and a show than it did worship. Money was spent on things I didn't agree with. Small groups seemed shallow and artificial. Events only counted as a win if they had over a certain number of participants. In short, their eyes were on external measurable things instead of internal spiritual matters. And that wore away at me. And like I said before, that was how I entered my season of disorientation. Yet throughout it, when I looked around at my context where it seemed like church was something entirely different than what I thought it should be, I didn't lose faith in the church. God helped me see, even though I didn't agree with many of the ways that that church was doing ministry, that God was still Lord over this imperfect human group organization. People still came to know Jesus there. People still got baptized. People found meaningful spiritual growth there. Since churches are made up of imperfect human beings, no church will ever be perfect. But no matter how imperfect we are, we could never get in the way of God's mission. God works through his imperfect children, bringing the message of salvation to the world. And we see the grace of God to us in this, that throughout that process, he's sanctifying us along the way. And he does this by bringing us through seasons and cycles of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, asking us to be obedient to him, to love him for who he is, because he is deserving of it. And we always have more to learn. We always have more to grow. It's in this season of reorientation, having gone through disorienting season of life and coming out the other side, that our psalm today takes on yet another significant layer. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. 
Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. Well, it's not the honeymoon anymore, but it's a deeper, more mature love. It's not love because of a feeling's sake. It's a genuine love of the other person for who that person is. It's a genuine love of God for who God is. So what does this mean for you today? Maybe you're currently in a season of orientation. What an awesome season of grace. You've recently come to know the Lord, and God is orienting your soul towards him and away from former vices. You feel his close presence. Cherish this time. But know what lies ahead. Your walk with Jesus will have ups and downs. You may not always feel the same way that you do now, but know that when you don't, God is growing you into the kind of person he wants you to be. Maybe you're currently in a season of disorientation for one reason or another or for no apparent reason at all. If that's you, I would say that it's time to lean on God's promises. He is with you, even if you can't feel it. He does hear you, even if it seems like your prayers are going unanswered. Avoid the temptation to fix this problem in your own power. The season is not a problem. It's actually another season of grace, a season of meaningful growth to bring you into a deeper love for him a love that is for his own sake and not for the sake of a feeling. Or maybe you're coming out of a season of disorientation and you're you're entering a season of reorientation. You're reorienting yourself towards God. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness. This too is a season of grace. And what I want you to know is that this cycle will happen again as you progress through this life towards heaven. You won't be perfect until Jesus comes back. There's always room to grow. And maybe you know someone who is disoriented in their faith. Encourage them. Love on them. Share your experience and remind them of the truths and promises that God tells us in his word. You are a living testimony that God is faithful and will see them through. And regardless of what season you find yourself in this morning, I want to close today by rephrasing part of today's psalm as an exhortation for you all. Trust in the Lord. He won't let you be put to shame, nor will he let your enemies triumph over you. Hope in the Lord. He will show you his ways and teach you his paths. He will guide you in his truth and teach you because he is God, your Savior. Hope in him all day long. He will remember his great mercy and love, but he won't remember the sins of your youth and your rebellious ways. He is love, and he will remember you because he is good. Amen.